Good evening, church. Um, I'm Rebecca Rivera. My husband, Carlos, and I've been at uh, SBCC for more than 15 years now, and uh, this is our home. Um, I'm going to be reading Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you want to turn in your Bible, or we'll have it up here on the screen for you, and if you could follow along. Um, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, God, for your amazing words. And here's Pastor Greg to deliver the message. You could be with us or maybe watching us for the first time. Uh, welcome online. I want to start off by uh, sharing with you about a lady in our church who just went home from the hospital uh, a couple weeks ago. And the thing is, she had been in the hospital since March. She went in for a hip surgery and complications happened and she was confined to the hospital for over four months, almost five months. She expected to go home very soon after that surgery, but she had been there for a long time. And, and I was talking to her and I admired her faith because her faith hadn't wavered. She still trusted the Lord and she's crying out to the Lord. And so I told her, I really admire your faith. And here's what she said to me. She said, Pastor Greg, I still listen to all the SBCC sermons online and I remember your mountain biking stories. And she says, I just tell myself, like Pastor Greg, I just got to keep on pedaling. I got to keep on pedaling, keep on pedaling. I said, amen, but make sure it's an e-bike. Because those things are changing. And I, I was serious. I, I told her right there in the hospital room, I said, seriously, make sure it's an e-bike because I've been on a man-powered bike. And you could tell yourself to keep pedaling and you could have the willpower, but eventually you're going to burn out. And eventually you get tired. And eventually you have no more strength to keep on pedaling as much as you want to bicycle with an e-bike. It's a game changer because you have a motor. You have this power outside of you that assists you. You have to keep on pedaling, but that power will, will put out its energy to help you. And you literally, as long as it's giving you power, you can keep on going forever and ever and ever. I said, sister, it's a game changer. So make sure it's an e-bike. I share that with you because threaded throughout this prayer that Rebecca just read for us is this prayer for power. Assisted power. I don't know if you saw it, but let me just remind you in verse 16, he said that you would be strengthened with power. 
In verse 18, he says that you would have power together with all of God's people. And then in verse 20, once again, he says that you would have power, that God would act according to the power that's at work in you. And so all throughout this prayer is this prayer for power. Now, what is power? Think about power as being ability, the ability to do something. And in this context, he's praying for a supernatural power. In other words, a power that's beyond you. When you have no power left to give, that God would assist you with his power. And so I want to show you how this prayer actually breaks down nicely into two specific prayers for power. And those two prayers are this, that Paul would pray that, that, that we would have power to let Christ dwell And secondly, Paul prays that we would have power to get Christ's love. Not as in to receive it as if we don't have it. No, we have it, but to get it as in to grasp it, to understand his love, okay? So those are the two prayers I want to show you. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. The first thing he prays for is for the power to let Christ dwell. What does that mean? Well, let me show you that prayer again. If you look at verse 16, He says very clearly, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Highlight, circle, make note of that word dwell in verse 17. And so Paul's praying that God would give them this additional power to let Christ dwell. Now, remember, he's writing to who? He's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. So why is he asking that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that Christ would be in their hearts? Haven't they already invited Jesus in? Haven't they already asked him in? So why is he asking that Christ would be in their hearts? Well, he's not just asking that Christ would be in their hearts. He's there. He's asking that they would have power to let Christ dwell in their hearts. There's a significant difference there. Let me try to help you understand the difference we're talking about. See, uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians uses two different words that play off one Greek word, the word oikos. The word oikos means a house or a dwelling place. And yet he uses two different words. The first is paroikos, paroikos, which comes in Ephesians 2 verse 19. And the second one is katoikeo, katoikeo. And that's right here in Ephesians chapter 3. Now what's the difference? Well, that first word, Paroikos is one who dwells in a house, but that person is a visitor. He's just passing through. He doesn't live there, but he's passing through. Ketoikeo is a person who resides in a place. That's his place. So this past week, last Sunday, uh, we picked up a friend from Singapore at LAX. And this friend, uh, his name is David, and he is a pastor from Singapore, but he's moving to L.A. because he's going to do his seminary studies at Talbot in La Mirada. So we picked him up, and this, this past week, he actually stayed at our house. And so we prepared a guest room for him, and he stayed in that guest room, and he pretty much respected space. Like, he, he stayed in the guest room, or sometimes he would come to the dining room to eat with us whenever there was meals for us to eat together. And so he was very respectful as a guest. He didn't really uh, do much damage or impact our house very much at all. He didn't go into our closets. He didn't go into our kids' bedrooms. He didn't go into our bedroom. 
I mean, it would be very disturbing if I wake up in the middle of the night and he's in my bathroom in our bedroom, sitting on my throne. Like, that would be very disturbing, right? But he did do that. He was very considerate. He stayed in his space, and we, we enjoyed having him. That's paroikos. He's a visitor, but dwelling in our place, not doing anything to change things around or impact our house. But throughout the week, uh, we got to go to different places to help them shop for some housing stuff. So we went to like Walmart and Target and we, we, we picked up like a couch and some bedding and some stuff. And, and uh, on Wednesday, we got to move him into his new place in La Mirada right next to Talbot. That's Wednesday, right? So Thursday, I'm sitting in my office. I'm writing this message. I'm trying to think of how to help you understand the difference between paroikos and kat oikeo. And I'm thinking about, and I kid you not, this is God's timing. I get a text from David who doesn't know I'm working on this message. He sends me a text and it's a video. And he says, this is my place now that I'm settled in. And he shows me where he put the couch in his place and how he set up his workstation. And he took me to his closet and how he organized his shirts and his shoes. And he showed me the bathroom sink and how he organized that. And then here's the bed and here's the beddings we bought. And he got it all fitted. And he was showing me how he settled down into his new place. And I said, that's it. That's the difference. See, Poroikos is when he was dwelling in my place, but just a visitor doesn't stays in that area, doesn't change the place around because it's not his place. But Katoikeo is when you claim this place as yours, you arrange it, you change it, you settle down into it according to your desires because that's your place. You are the master of the house. And so that word Katoikeo literally means to settle down. And so Paul's praying not just that Jesus would, would be a visitor. He doesn't want to just be a guest in our house confined to a certain area, doing little change and having little impact in our hearts. He wants to dwell in our hearts. And the prayer is that our heart would be his home, that our heart would be his home, that he would settle down and reign as the master of the house. And see, the heart, right, the heart is the hub it's the control center of our lives. We know that what's in the heart comes out in our lives. What happens in the rooms of our heart, the areas of our heart will eventually play out in the areas of our lives. It is the wellspring of life. And so Jesus wants to make our heart his home. And if our heart is his home, then Jesus has access to every room and every area of our heart and ultimately our lives. And so my question to you is, does Jesus dwell in your heart? Does he have access to roam around freely in the house and go to any room he wants to? Or do you treat him like a guest and say, no, Jesus, you just stay in this part of my life. You just stay over here and don't go into my office where I do business and don't go into my bedroom where I play like you stay over here or does Jesus have access to roam freely and reign in every room? Let's think about this. Let's really think about this. Does Jesus have access to the dining room of your heart? Does he sit around the table with you? In the Bible, the dining table where you break bread together was a place of relationship and fellowship. It was a place where you would get together and, and, and commune with people. 
There's something very deep and meaningful about sitting around a table and breaking bread. And so do you allow Jesus to come in and fellowship with you? Do you regularly spend time digesting the daily bread of his word? Do you sit at his feet and grow in relationship with him? Have you let him into the dining room of your heart? How about the family room? Does he have access to sit down and make himself at home in the family room? You know, the room where the family comes together. Do do you invite him in to have influence over the decisions you make as a family? Does he reign over decisions like what you're going to do as a family, where you're going to live, where you're going to send your kids to school, what activities and what sports your kids are going to get involved in? Does Jesus have a place in the family room? Or do you just keep him out because it's just convenient to lean on our own understanding and do what's right in our own minds? See in your family room? How about the master bedroom, which some people are now calling the primary bedroom, but, but is Jesus there where the spouses are? And is Christ at the center of your marriage? As husbands and wives, do you love each other and honor each other with a Christ-like love? Is there sacrifice and, and, and consideration and respect for one another out of submission to Christ? Is Jesus present in your private conversations? Is Jesus present in your physical relations? In that marriage bed? Is Jesus not in approval in how that marriage bed is being treated? How it's being used? The sacrifice that's taking place? The love that's taking place? Or does he shake his head in disapproval because of how that marriage bed is being abused? Is Jesus in that bedroom? And then there's the closet. How many of you guys had that one closet in your house kind of like this? Or maybe you, you need an entire room where you shove all the junk into the room when you know a guest is coming and, and a visitor is coming. So you throw all the mess, all the clothes, all the stuff in the floor. And you shut that door hoping that nobody goes into the closet. There's a lot of chaos in there. There's a, there's a lot of disorganization and mess. It's shameful. And so when your guests come, a guest wouldn't see that. They would see the house as tidy, clean, and kept together. But for anybody who actually dwells in your house and resides in your house, they know about the closet. They know what's in there, the mess and the disorganization that needs to be dealt with but just hasn't. Anybody who dwells there will know what goes on in the closet. And so does Jesus have access to every room, including the closet? Is your heart his home? And does Jesus reign in every room and every area of your life? And if he doesn't, that's Paul's prayer, that that church, you would have power, that you will have the help of God to dwell in your hearts. And you only pray for power once again when you acknowledge that the person doesn't have the strength or the ability or even the desire for something to happen. And so you need outside assistance. You need divine intervention. And I get it. It can be scary to let Jesus into every room and every area of our lives. Yeah, I get it. It is scary. It is shameful. There is a lot of guilt. There is a lot of shame. There are a lot of regrets and a lot of remorse. And so we'd rather keep Jesus like a guest and shut the door and don't go over here, Jesus. Don't don't open this door. You just stay confined to your space. Or I get it. It's convenient. 
We don't need to seek Jesus on what sports to put our kids in and, and where we go vacation and, and where we choose to live because it's just, that takes too much time. We'll lean on our own understanding and do what's right in our own minds. It's just easier that way. Or I get it. Sometimes we just really enjoy living according to our own pleasures in certain rooms. And what happens in that room, you know it's wrong or you know it's sinful but you just rather not have Jesus get involved. Let me do my thing in this room. And I don't really desire Jesus to clean it up. So I get it. It's hard in our natural selves to want Jesus to actually reign. Nobody naturally wants that. And so we pray for power. Outside of ourselves, help us to let Christ dwell. And so we pray, God, let us let you. Let us let you. Give us the power to give you the power to reign in my heart. That we would have the ability to surrender to you and invite you into every room and area of our lives. And so that's a prayer. In fact, this is unusual. We don't usually do this. But I want to ask that we bow our heads right now. Would you join me wherever you are, even if you're watching at home? Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to encourage you right now to, to pray and ask Christ to dwell in your heart. And think about any particular room or area in your life where he is not currently reigning. And pray that he would reign and rule and arrange it according to his desire. This is a vulnerable moment. And, and if you just don't want to do that right now, pray that God would give you the power to do that. that he'd give you the ability and desire to invite Christ because that is the best thing for your heart. So, Lord, would you enter in and make yourself at home? God, settle down, rule, reign, and arrange according to what you want it to look like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the first prayer, that we would have power to let Christ dwell. Here's the second prayer. He prays that we would have the power to get Christ's love. If you're taking notes, would you write that down? Paul prays for the power to get Christ's love. And once again, it's not like we need to get it as if it's not available to us. We have it, but that, that we would grasp it, that we would comprehend and really get, get it, that we would know, know it. Let me show you that prayer, verse 17. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp to get, to comprehend, to understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so that's the prayer, that, that we would grasp the love. And in verse 17, you look at it again. He, he says that you being rooted and established in love would ultimately know how far the love of God reaches. Being rooted and established in love. Now, I know that we've been following the, the fires in Maui. I want to let you know that Pastor Dan will come out uh, at the end of service and he'll give you an update on where we're at in terms of us coming alongside the relief efforts there. So Pastor Dan will give you updates on that. But if you've been following the, the fires and the devastation there, it was, it's, it's the worst U.S. fire in the last 100 years. And it's completely devastated, especially the town of Lahaina. And buildings and businesses have burnt down. Boats have gone up in flames. And yet, if you've heard some of these stories, you probably have heard of this one thing that still stands. It's the Lahaina Banyan Tree. This is a picture of the Banyan. How many of you guys have actually been to the Banyan Tree in Maui? Okay, a lot of us, right? It's, a, it's become a symbol of hope for the people of the island. Why? Well, because it still stands. It still stands. And here, here's the thing about banyan trees. Like this one particular tree is now 150 years old. They just celebrated its birthday in April. And the thing about banyan trees is they grow extremely wide, very wide. They stretch out and potentially cover acres by its single self. The one in Maui is over 60 feet tall and expands to cover nearly two acres of land. That's how big this one single tree is. It can accommodate under this tree a thousand people. Every year they have a hula festival under this tree. That's how big this tree is. Now the fact that it's still standing in the midst of hurricane winds when power poles and power lines have blown down is incredible. In fact, when buildings and businesses and boats have burned up, this tree still stands. And so my question is, how in the world does this banyan tree stretch so wide and how does it still stand in the midst of the craziest devastation? Well, you know the answer. It's rooted. It's rooted and established but not just is one trunk rooted. On a banyan tree, this one in particular, there are multiple trunks that are rooted on this single tree. See, the way a banyan tree works is as the branches grow out, there's these branches that hang down of the main branches. And when those branches reach the ground, they actually take root and get established. And they now support the branches that are going outward. And as these branches keep forming, these new trunks that are getting rooted start forming. And as they form, scientists tell us that the tree will continue to stretch out. And you'll find that the growth is indefinite. That's what they say. Meaning the, the expanse outward has no limits. The, the great banyan tree, as it's called in India, the largest one in the world, is already at three and a half acres. Covering three and a half acres by itself. There's no end to how vast a banyan tree can be. And Paul's praying that we Christians, you individuals, brothers and sisters, as you are rooted and established in love, that you will come to grasp just how unending the love of Christ is. How in every direction there is no end or no limit to this love that's available to you, that is in you. 
that you would be rooted and established in love and, and have the power to know this 4D love. Now, when he says it is long and it's deep, it's wide, it's high, Paul's simple point is this. There's no end to his love. There's no limit. That's his simple point. But I think it's worth it, and I think it glorifies God if we were to pause and think about the dimensions of God's love, his 4D love, these four dimensions, because his love is wide, it is long, it is deep, and it is high. How high is it? Well, Psalm 36.5 tells us this. The psalmist cries out, he says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. That's how high it is. I remember one year, this is like over a decade ago, um, they were going to hold this big Easter celebration at the Verizon Amphitheater in Orange County. Now, the Verizon Amphitheater is kind of like the Hollywood Bowl, and there's going to be bands and worship music. And then my favorite preacher was going to be preaching live. They said on the radio that Francis Chan was going to be preaching live at this Easter celebration. Here's a picture of Francis Chan if you don't know who he is. At the time, he was like my favorite preacher. Why? Because he's so passionate about knowing the word of God and teaching the word of God. And because he's Chinese. And I, so I, I loved him and I couldn't believe that I was going to hear him in person. So I, I, I planned to go, but my friend who's working the event, he emails me and he says, Hey, Greg, I'm working this event. Would you like to come and would you like to bring a group of your, from your church? I said, yes. And I was leading the college young adult group at the time. I said, hey, save me 10 seats. I, I, I want to I bring 10 people from my church. So he sent me an email with the tickets. It's a free event. They're not seated um, tickets. They're just entrance into the amphitheater. And so that day comes, and we're driving from the South Bay to, to Irvine, and there's a lot of traffic. And so we get to the amphitheater super late, like super late, embarrassingly late. And we get in there, and the place is packed. It looked like this. The place holds 14,000 people. And, like, we, there's 10 of us, right? And so we're looking for seats. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to find seats for 10 of us in a row. I could barely see single seats. And so we're, we're at the top. We're walking through the aisles trying to look for a seat. And we can't. And so I text my friend who's working at the event. I said, hey, we're really late, and we can't find 10 seats. And he says, hey, just meet, meet me up front. He says, meet me up front. So we do like that walk of shame, right? Like <laughs> 10, 10, 10 of us walking down the aisles when 10,000 people are seated in their seats. Here we are walking down the aisles trying to not be seen. And we go to the front where he told us to meet him. And he was standing at the second row. And when we get to the second row, it was roped off, 10 seats. And there was a sign right where the rope was, and it had our name on it. He says, here you go. He opens it up, 10 seats in a row, in the second row of the Verizon Amphitheater in front of 14,000 people. And we're scooting down this row, and I go, and I find my seat right front and center. I sit down. And right in front of me is this big, bald, Chinese head. It was Francis Chan right in front of me. And I was like, ah! He's like, I'm, I'm sitting at the backside of Francis Chan. 
I couldn't believe it. He turns around and then they say, hey, turn around and pray with the people around you. And I go, ah, will you pray with me? Because <laughs> I was too starstruck. And so I start praying over here. But I couldn't believe that the seats were saved for us. That I got to sit at the backside of Francis Chan. Now, why in the world do I share this? What does it have to do with the love of Christ being so high? Because his love reaches to the heavens. If I could remind you, Ephesians chapter 2, which we just studied not too long ago, here's Christ's love for you. In verse 6 and 7, it says this, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. That means if you are in Christ, you have been seated. There's a seat reserved for you. You've been saved. And you've been seated with the Savior. Forget Francis Chan. Forget the backside of Francis Chan. You're seated at the right hand of the throne of God next to the king of Francis Chan. He's the king of my heart, and we've been seated with the Lord of Lords. That moment for me was a very special moment. I felt so honored and so privileged, but it lasted a moment. Imagine the thrill and joy of being with the king of kings, Lord of Lords, forever eternity, and that joy never dissipates. It never goes away. How high is the love of Christ? You've been seated in the highest place. His love is high. And his love is deep. How deep is it? Paul knows firsthand how deep the love of Christ is. He says in 1 Timothy, he says, Christ came to save sinners of which I am the chief. I'm the chief of sinners, the sinner of all sinners. And yet he knows Christ's love goes deeper still. There's a pastor in Wisconsin. His name was Pastor Roy Ratcliffe. And he gets a phone call. And they say there's a prisoner at a local prison who wants to get baptized and so a pastor hears that and that's like man that's like a softball love I'm there like I'll I'll baptize anybody and so he goes but little does he know he soon finds out that the inmate who wants to get baptized his name is Jeffrey Dahmer now if you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is most of you guys probably might have watched the very popular Netflix series on his life or maybe you just knew at the time that he was one of the world's worst most evil serial killers of all time. Jeffrey Dahmer has taken the lives of over 17 people. And without getting into all the details, he would murder them, he would dismember them, and he would cannibalize his victims. He would do the most evil and despicable things both before and even after taking their life. So Pastor Roy goes to the prison. He knows who he is, exactly who he is, and Because Jeffrey Dahmer professed a faith in Christ Jesus, Pastor Roy baptized him. And Pastor Roy continued going back to the prison every single week, spending an hour with him, discipling him, going through the word of God with him to help him to grow in his faith. Now, I don't know how you respond to that. I don't know what thoughts you have, but it's probably not uncommon what you're thinking or feeling. And you're probably wondering, was he really saved? Pastor Roy wrote this in his book. He said, one of the most common questions put to me about Jeff has to do with the sincerity of his faith. They ask, 
if Jeff was truly sincere in his baptism and in his Christian life? My answer has always been the same. Yes, I am convinced he was sincere. And if some of us are honest right now, that kind of doesn't feel right to you. And some of us aren't willing to accept that. Somebody who could be so evil and so vile and do the most despicable things, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth, that he just believes in Christ, he says, I believe, and he's saved, forgiven, and he's given eternity forever. There's one professor, he, he wrote to Pastor Roy, he said, if Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven, then I don't want to be there. And that reveals the human condition of our heart, that human love is so limited. Our love for people stops at some point. And yet, the love of Christ has no limit. And Christ's love, you have to understand, is so deep that it can reach the lowest of depravity to rescue the worst of sinners from their sin. And maybe you feel like that's you. Maybe you'd contend with Paul, and you say, no, I, 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 I got that title. I'm the chief of sinners. If you knew what I've done, you would know that I'm the worst of sinners. This past week, my friend who has such a sincere love for Christ, really true, genuine faith, 1,000%, was weeping and in tears because he couldn't shake off this thought that God hates him, that God hates him. Because of who he is and what he's done. And he just couldn't shake off this thought that God hates. And I tried. I tried to convince him and, and try to encourage him. And I realized I couldn't truly pull him out of this pit. And all I could do was just pray for him. And because I had been studying this passage, all I could do was pray that God gives him the power and the assistance, the divine intervention to know that God's love, Christ's love goes deeper still care what you've done, how to pray to your God's love goes deeper still if you would embrace it. Maybe if you feel like God can't love you because of who you are or because of what you've done. Maybe you feel like God can't love you because of what you lust after or how you've treated people. Maybe you feel like he can't love you because of what you've done 30 years ago or what you did 30 days ago. And someone needs to hear this right now, that Christ's love is deep. It runs deep. And that there is nothing that his love cannot capture. His love is deep. And his love is wide. His love is wide. How wide is it? Well, we've been learning in this book of Ephesians through the previous passages over and over again that Christ's love is so wide that it reaches the, the Jews over here and it reaches the Gentiles over here. As far apart as two humans can be, Christ's love reaches both with the gospel. That's what this whole thing is about. It's, it's the reason why Paul, at the beginning of this prayer, says, for this reason I bow my knees when he realizes the wide love of Christ. And if Christ's love can reach both the Jew over here and the Gentile over here and bring them together by the gospel, then he can reach anyone with his love. His love reaches the far left liberal with the gospel and it reaches the far right conservative 
with that same gospel. His love can reach Ukrainians by making the gospel available, and it can reach even Russians with the good news of the gospel. His love reaches charismatic Christians, and it reaches cessationist Christians. His church, his love, his gospel reaches Team China people, and it reaches Team Taiwan people. His love reaches the best, I mean, the West High warriors, and believe it or not, it even reaches the North High Saxons. Can you believe it? The Crosstown rivals here in Torrance. If that makes no sense to you because you're not from Torrance, it's like saying it reaches the UCLA Bruins and it reaches the USC Trojans, believe it or not. And he brings them together in one family. Christ's love reaches all people. Why? Because it's wide. How wide is it? It's this wide. This wide. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, he loves the whole wide world. That whoever, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting love. Life, his love is this why? Do you believe it, church? His love goes high, it goes deep, it goes wide. His love is ever reaching. And so here's the crazy thing, right? The more we grasp his love and we understand it and we comprehend it, when we get his love, the more we imitate his love to others. And the more we imitate his love to others, strangely, it helps us grasp his love even more. It's reciprocal. The more we understand it, the more we will show it. The more we show it, the more we begin to understand it. And so in closing, besides asking Christ to dwell in your hearts and in every room, I want to give you one more thing to think about. I want you to think about who is one person or a group of people that you can't imagine ever loving. Who's someone you can't imagine being reconciled with and having relationship with? Think of that person right now. I'm going to give you that time. You don't think you can love. Maybe it's an evil person. A figure like Jeffrey Dahmer. Maybe it's someone who's ignored you or abandoned you. Maybe it's someone who backstabbed you or ruined you. Is it a person from a little, another political party? Is it a person who works in your workplace, a person of another race? Is it your boss? Is it your neighbor? Is it your ex? Who can't you imagine loving? I want you to surrender that to Christ because Paul ends this prayer in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is, is at work within us. Can you imagine that? That according to his power, you can't do it, but he could do more than you can imagine. Would you ask Christ to help you love those you can't imagine loving? I want to close with this. At my uh, previous church, um, I was so moved uh, one Sunday when our worship leader at the time, his name was Jason, and he was sharing with our small group of guys with bulgy red eyes. You could tell he was crying. And he's sharing with us how he was crying the night before. 
And he, he was sharing us what happened. He had a long, hours-long meeting with his ex-girlfriend. Her name's Cindy. Along with our pastor and, and his wife. And they had broken up years ago, but apparently she had a lot of hurt and brokenness and bitterness building up in her heart. And he had no idea. But that night, the night before he was learning, he was getting a view into her shattered heart because she started reading the journal entry, journal entry after journal entry of what she was writing to God during the course of the relationship and even after they broke up. And how she would just pray for Jason and she would pray for God's best for him and that God would work in, her, in his life and how blessed she is to have Jason. And she's pouring out her heart for Jason. And so Jason's like tearing up as he's hearing this for the first time. And then they broke up and she would still keep praying for Jason. And she would just pray for a healed heart. And then she writes about how Jason seemed to be just fine and Jason moved overseas to become a missionary to do God's work and he's happy and joyful about it while she was left at home broken and shattered and still hurting inside and she's just going through everything she was experiencing as Jason's hearing this for the first time Jason said he just could not stop crying going through tissue after tissue because of how much he hurt her and he says, it got to a point where it was so bad I could not hear it anymore I asked her to please stop says, stop. Then he says this. He says, Cindy, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And he says, without hesitation, with all sincerity, she looked at me. She said, I forgive you. And he said, at that moment, he became undone. He just was a wreck. He was unraveled. And he continued to sob. And I heard from everybody who was in that room that he could not stop. He couldn't even gain composure. The night just kept going on. And they're just waiting for him to grab a hold of himself. And he told our small group that Sunday, here's what he said. He said, when she said those words, I forgive you. He says, that is the first time I really understood what Christ did for me on the cross. When he loved me and forgave me with no hesitation, despite what I've done. It's the first time I didn't just get it, I grasped it. I didn't just know it, I know, know it. This is our worship leader. He's always leading us in songs about the cross and he's always leading us, songs, us in songs about God's love. But this is the first time when somebody showed me Christ's love and forgiveness, I understood Christ's love and forgiveness. And that's what's, what happens, church, when we love each other with a Christ-like love. We're being rooted and established in love, and we help each other go beyond just the knowledge of love up here, and we begin to know, know the love of God by the experience of just how long, how wide, how high, and how deep the love of Christ can really go. His love is vast. Amen? Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? I want to invite us into a time to respond. And uh, if you are a believer, continue to ask Christ to dwell in your heart. Continue to help, pray that he would help you understand the dimensions of his love. I want to invite um, those of you who aren't a believer in Jesus Christ. I want, I want to 
speak to you and ask you to please consider asking Christ into your life, not just to be there, but to dwell there, to dwell in your heart. The Bible says all you have to do is believe that Jesus is Lord. Because he died, he rose from the grave, and he's exalted in the highest place. That makes him Lord. That makes him king. You believe that that cross, that death on the cross forgives you of all your sins. You too can be saved. All Jeffrey Dahmer had to do was truly believe it with his heart and repent from his sins and follow Christ from that point forward, and he did. And I believe if he sincerely did that, he is saved by the grace of God. I don't know who you are or what you've done, but that same gift is available to you. So if that's you right now, you want that assurance, that forgiveness, and you want to experience that love, I want to encourage you right now to uh, talk to God and pray. And I'll lead you in a prayer. I'm going to say it out loud, and I encourage you just to pray it. And make it your own. Pray straight to him in your heart. And pray something like this. Father God, thank you for reminding me right now of your love. Thank you for allowing me to hear what Christ did for me. When he died on the cross and rose from the grave, to show me how high and how deep, how long and how wide his love is. And I pray that this day forward I'd walk in faith. And as I do, give me the power to grasp and understand just how much your love is. Help me to experience that love, to know, know it. And so I ask that you would come and dwell in my heart, reign as king. And let your love rain down on me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.